Welcome to the VIP Jazzwell Report, the report that asks insightful questions and gets revealing answers from people whose lives are faced with dilemmas and challenges beyond the ordinary. Previously, I had interviewed Majid al-Shafi about the story of his conversion from Islam to Christianity and what a story that was. His story actually aroused my curiosity and I wanted to find someone who'd gone the other way, i.e. from Christianity to Islam. But the strange thing was that many were uncomfortable to come on the show to talk about why they became a Muslim. However, persistence pays and we finally found someone who's willing to talk about her conversion from Christianity to Islam. Our guest today is Christiane Backer, who was one of the very first presenters on MTV Europe and at the height of her career decided to become a Muslim. She went from popular culture to a religious one. Welcome to the show, Christiane. Hello there. Salaam alaikum, my dear. Salaam alaikum. Alaikum assalam. Now, your life as an MTV presenter gave you the opportunity to meet with the likes of Mick Jagger, Bono, Bob Geldof, even Cat Stevens. But I guess your ultimate celebrity was and is Prophet Muhammad. <laughs> you got that right. <laughs> so my first question, what was missing in your life that made you look for a spiritual direction? Really, I suppose God was missing in my life. I just didn't know it. Mm. You know, I was living the high life, interviewing rock stars for a living, uh, enjoying red carpet treatment wherever we went with my show on MTV Europe. And, um, and yet I wasn't happy. You know, I, in fact, after a few years, had a deep crisis. And I thought perhaps love was missing. But in retrospect, I realized that no human being could have filled that inner void, only the divine. And that had no place in my life. So you were actually suffering from a hangover from the intoxication. <laughs> a hangover of the party life, of the good life. Yeah, yeah, uh, I suppose so. And you see, in those times, in my dark moments, there was only one remedy, retail therapy, going mm -hmm. shopping. An expensive habit, and also it doesn't ultimately provide you with happiness or satisfaction. So now... That Not I until found... the next sale anyway. Exactly. You always want something new. You know, it doesn't last the happiness you get from a new handbag or a new pair of shoes. But I'm, so, dying, I'm dying to know, what made you change your religion? I mean, you got up one morning and decided that Islam was your destiny? What was? <laughs> well, I was, you know, I tell you something, at that time of my life, as an MTV presenter, if anybody had told me that a few years later I would become a practicing Muslim, I would have told them they must be mad, because I really was living a life very far away from a religious life, let alone from Islam. So um, it, what happened was, really, I discovered this, this very unpopular faith uh, through love. And it was through love that I found higher love. You know, I started going out with... Um, uh, cricketer uh, Imran Khan, who had just won the World Cup for Pakistan. Now he's um, an aspiring presidential well, candidate or, you know, hopefully a future prime minister of Pakistan. He lost the elections just, just uh, very slightly this time. Um, and basically, you know, he, God sent him as my introduction to Islam, a handsome sports superstar, not in a long-bearded imam who would ram religious rulings down my throat, but this handsome superstar. And, um, you know, and God works in mysterious ways, and I can only say he knows 
what he's doing. <laughs> so Imran introduced Islam from a perspective of philosophy to me. You know, he told me, he made me aware of the inner dimension of the soul that we all have that needs nourishment like the body, you know. And I never realized I had a soul. In fact, probably it was this neglect of my soul that led me to my crisis, even though I had a dream job that all the teenagers in the world dreamt of, you know. So so we talked philosophy, we talked, um, you know, spirituality, the fact that uh, there is this other dimension in life that you can't see, you can't uh, can't uh, sort of touch, but you can feel it. Well, that's and, strange um, because Imran Khan is a Muslim. Yeah. And to a certain extent, he isn't your typical Muslim. And yet to be talking and, and preaching, I guess, philosophy of Islam, he's not your typical Muslim. Uh, I guess he's been dating, he, he, he was dating... Um, Quite a few ladies, and he was regarded as um, his media persona was he was quite a playboy. Well, he was a hot shot, that's for sure. All the women fell at his feet because he's so handsome and so cool and so charismatic. But, um, you know, he, he was never a playboy as such. He was always very hardworking. You know, if you, if you have a career at the top of your field in, in sports, you cannot, you know, he didn't drink, he didn't uh, lead a life of excess. He, he was a very hardworking man, you know. I heard Mick Jagger and Imran Khan once speak about the secret of success. And both of them said it's very, very hard work. What looks like an effortless um, show for the audience actually, you know, is a grueling schedule of training for the stars behind the scenes. You know, Mick Jagger as well. He has to train very hard, you know, to keep keep fit for his shows where he jumps around the stage for, for two hours nonstop. So, so, so anyway, so that's him. He was a, he's a very hardworking man. But you see, what touched, uh, I mean, when I met him, I was lucky. The, his his uh, ladies, lady man days were perhaps over a little bit, and he was in the process of finding his own faith. And actually, at the height of his career, he gave up. Uh, just after his world, his, he won the World Cup with, for his team, with his team for Pakistan. Mm-hmm. He gave up his cricketing career to become a charity worker, to build a cancer hospital in Lahore where the poor people would be treated for free. And that really touched me. You know, I saw with an army of volunteers how everybody put their extra time and effort into this cause outside of themselves. For the sake of God, in the end of the day, and let me tell you one thing, only today, incidentally, I went to my invisible mender where I bring my clothes to have them, you know, tailored, um, changed. The lady is Indian who runs the shop, and she said to me, do you know Imran Khan? I have a friend who wants to donate her house to his cancer hospital. It's worth 500,000 pounds. She has nobody to inherit it to. She wants to give it to the cancer hospital. Can you believe it? This is what people do. They do it for the sake of God. And but, that is what touches me, what touched me. But, you know, I mean, a compassion, generosity also exists in, in, in Christianity as much as it exists in other religions. Of course it does. But, you know, I have never seen it as acute or as intense as um, as with the Muslims. You know, remember also at the time I was working in this uh, entertainment business, yes. a very ego-driven, um, hedonistic uh, business. Oh, it's wonderful, isn't TV. it? <laughs> 
you know, and um, and 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 you know, then I I started. Um, Imran invited me to travel to Pakistan, right. not the obvious tourist destination, but when I finally accepted, you know, I I thought uh, it's certainly worth an adventure, and uh, not having any idea about the monumental consequences this adventure would have. How old were you at the time? I was 27. 27, okay. And uh, when we traveled, you know, through the mountains, for example, up the hills, up the Himalayas, you know, this so high, the mountain, 4,000 feet, 3,000 feet, you know, above sea level, and we passed these very simple villages there where people had no material amenities, but they were rich in faith. You know, they, they lived in mud houses made of mud and wood where on above of their animals, the animals stayed in the bottom, the people above, so that the heat of the body heat of the animals can work as a natural heating system. They didn't have, you know, heating or running water or, you know, any creature comforts or TV. So they didn't know who he was. And when we walked through these villages, you know, they, they came out of their houses, they offered us the little that they had in shallow bowls, walnuts and apricots, the Hunza apricots, you know, these anti-aging apricots, with, with a bismillah in the name of God. All the Muslims do everything in the name of God, bismillah. So they sanctify every day and every deed by doing things in the name of God. You know, and, and this generosity and, and um, hospitality, mm. you know, in the face of dire poverty, again, moved me deeply, you know. You cannot avoid it. Your heart just opens and you want to get involved and help. And, uh, the but were they giving, were they, were, they gener were they being generous because of you or because of Imran Khan? they didn't know who he was in those places they didn't know who he was they were just generous because these are very hospitable warm-hearted people the eastern people and it is you know i got gifts everywhere and i mean it's, it's just extraordinary and there's this i mean you know it's um, famous the hospitality of the arabs and the the eastern people in general you know the pakistanis as well as the indians and so on it's uh, something very touching and every westerner who goes to that part of the world and you know, hangs out with the people, will always be invited and, and their hearts will open because it's... But they'll invite you regardless of your faith, right? Oh, yeah, I was a Christian. I was an MTV presenter, you know. Absolutely. And um, so that's the one thing, you know, I was very touched by, by the humanity of the people and they didn't look depressed, whereas I had my big depression uh, rushing from one show to the next, living the high life, you know. And um, and so where did they get this dignity from and this light in their eyes? From their faith, you know, and a guest is, is something very important also in Islam. So it also uh, has a root, you know, this hospitality has a root in the faith. But, you know, I also, obviously, I, I started reading books, and it was really, you know, I was actually, I was captivated intellectually. I, ha I didn't expect this, believe you me. But it just happened. When I started reading about the concepts, uh, the philosophy of Islam, the fact there's one God and you pray directly to God and nobody else, you bow down in front of nobody, neither fame nor fashion nor any trends, money or anything, just God. That's mm -hmm. it. It's but you know, changing, changing one's religion is, it doesn't happen very often. In life, oh, no, and no. and in, in in people's lives where it does happen, it's very it's as serious as disowning one family and accepting another. Well, I wouldn't quite call it like that because you see, 
it is a continuation of Judaism and Christianity. It's not like I have disowned Christianity. I have actually come closer to Jesus through Islam, because Jesus is mentioned a lot in Islam, in the Quran. Also, Mary, you know, is, is regarded, the Virgin Mary, we believe in the virgin birth, she's regarded as one of the most, uh, the four most um, ch- uh, chaste and most ad- admirable, you know, best women of all time, uh, the leader of the women in paradise. I mean, you know, she... she has so why not, why not stay a Christian if there's a commonality there, but align yourself more closely with the culture of the East? You know, because um, the doctrines make more sense in Islam. You know, this, the, 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 the Trinity is very confusing. One God, you believe in one God, you pray to one God. No one has taken your sins away already 2,000 years ago. You are responsible for your own mistakes. And you can also repent. You can turn your mistakes into good deeds by repenting and not doing them again. It's very, very powerful, I tell you. This is why I'm, telling, why I'm saying, you know, I was captivated intellectually. We're not born as sinners. There's no original sin in Islam. We're born pure. A baby is born pure, and in the course of life we accumulate sins. So you see, I don't believe anymore in the doctrines of Christianity, although I also believe, you see, at the higher level, we all, all these religions unite. At the spiritual level, they all meet. And in fact, we all have so much more in common that one, than what separates us. So we shouldn't squabble and argue about, you know, whether you pray this way or that way. Just live and let live and work together for the common good. I mean, this is one of the messages, certainly, of my book, where I'm writing, my, you know, writing in detail about my journey. It's called From MTV to Mecca. How appropriate. Uh, um... <laughs> Thank you. And you can get it on Amazon, even in the U.S., by the way. Oh, excellent. Okay, we can, we can pitch that later. But <laughs> what happens in a conversion? What happens in a conversion when uh, you go from Christianity to Islam? What are you supposed to do? Well, uh, I mean, from, uh, if you want to convert to Islam, it's very, very simple. All you need to say is the declaration of faith. There is no God but God and Muhammad is one of his messengers. Simple. You just need to believe in God. And but do you need to go to a mosque? Oh, you can do that anywhere. I mean, I did it in a mosque, you know, with, with a sheikh, with a, some kind of a sheikh, and a lot of people were converting that day. You know, and then you believe, by the way, as a Muslim, and then you, you have to believe in all the angels, all the books that have come before, the Bible, the Torah, all the books, all the prophets. That makes you a Muslim. You believe in God, you believe in the afterlife, you know, in the next life, the life to come. And, and all this makes you a Muslim. Now, but you, the, the conversion process is not like in Judaism where you have to pass an exam, I think. It's, it's, basically, it's just saying the declaration of faith. La ilaha illallah Muhammadan Rasulullah. That's it. Now, your biggest influence when you converted was Imran Khan and your experience in Pakistan with the people? Would you put that, would, would that be correct? Definitely. I mean, I, 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 have, I found my faith via Pakistan, and Imran was certainly the catalyst, the tool that God had sent me, you know, and it was, but I needed to, you see, I'm a rational person. I couldn't just convert for anybody or for a feeling or anything, you know. I researched for three years. I know I had a lot of questions, you know. But Can when I you have... researched, did you only research the Quran, or did you research and compare it to the Bible? No, 
actually, I first started reading a lot of books about Islam, and the Quran came later. You know, I read certain passages of the Bible, and, you know, one passage I remember, it, it talked in the Old Testament and talked about prophets being drunk and committing incest with their daughters. I thought, hang on a minute, this cannot be true. I mean, a prophet would not do that, you know, and I'm sure it just came in later and it was falsified, you see. Um, so, basically, you know, Islam came like, in fact, Jesus came at the time to bring people back to the straight path, to bring people back to God. They were worshipping idols at the time, they were going off course, Jesus came to bring them back. And Muhammad, in the end, also came to bring people back to God, to tie up the loose ends the questions, the unclarities, you know. Uh, so it really is, it's in the Abrahamic tradition, and it's, you know, a long line of prophets, beginning with Adam and Eve, Moses, Abraham, you know, Jesus, and so on. It's just a continuation, um, and Muhammad is the final prophet. You mentioned going on a straight path, that, that Islam brings you onto a straight path. Um, taking that forward, are you a rigid follower? Do you not eat pork? Do you pray five times a day, so on and so forth? I am a, um, a loving follower. I wouldn't call that. I'm, I'm definitely not a rigid follower. I mean, you know, therefore I have too much of my past um, in me. Um, but I, I am a pious follower. I'm trying to do my best to live a pious life. Yes, I pray five times a day. And um, and I don't eat pork, absolutely not. Um, I also, you know, don't date anymore. I have to be married married in front of God, and that probably is the, the most, the greatest challenge, you know. But how do you get married without a first date or an introduction? I, I mean, you know, I do meet, I meet men, I mm -hmm. would meet somebody, but, you know, I wouldn't go to bed with them, you know, because uh, that's safe for the husband. I know there's a Christian movement in America who is also, who does, uh, you know, has a similar um, value system. Right. And it's not that easy, you know, obviously, because most people don't uh, prescribe to that. You know, they're not used to this anymore. But it, it may, may help me sift, you know, the, what's it called, the bad from the good. You know, people who just want an adventure. Um, so they won't get, they get very frightened when you talk marriage about them, to them. <laughs> and, and we'll get to the, the practices and, 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 and things like that, but... In all of this, how do you think Islam's benefited you from where you were when you were 27 and where you are now? Well, I tell you, my life has um, got a purpose now. I don't. What is just, that purpose? I'm, I'm not just aimlessly cruising around. The purpose is to please God, you know, to live for the sake of God in whatever way you can, whether it is smiling at the neighbor, helping someone here, um, you know, it's you, you, you have a close, it's also um, like a constant character reform. We all make mistakes. I make mistakes isn't all the that, time. Isn't that the fundamentals of every religion, though? Yeah, it is. It probably is. But I'm more conscious of it now, you see. I'm conscious of God. It's, you see, I pray five times a day. It, it cultivates a close link with God. If you stand in front of God five times a day and pray with your body, your heart, and your soul, you know, that's what I love about Islam as well. It cultivates this really close relationship with God. And remember, when we fast for 30 days in Ramadan, we don't eat or drink from dawn to sunset. And these fasts were about 18 hours long, 18, 17 hours long this year, you know. That is a full-on commitment. <laughs> and it really... So that's no water, no food, no smoking. No sex. From 
home to sunset, even when you're married. Oh, that's too bad. I, he wasn't married. <laughs> well, you can do it afterwards. Um, but, I don't mind uh, the starving, and the, but the smoking and the no sex, I mean, that's like... Well, you know, people manage when you're fasting, you know, you do get used to it. Um, you, you know, it's amazing. God, and I tell you, I didn't know if I could do it. But um, there's, a, there's a saying of a prophet, peace be upon him. This is what we say after we mention any kind of prophet. Um, uh, you know, I must remember it. Um, uh, there's a saying that when you walk one step towards God, he comes ten steps towards you. When you walk towards God, he comes running to you. But the secret is you need to take the first step. So when you really psych yourself up for Ramadan mm. and, you know, and you really try and do it, God makes it easy for you. And you're not even hungry. It's like a miracle. Yeah, you get a bit lightheaded <laughs> in the end, and you perhaps a little bit more forgetful. But um, it's amazing, you know. It's so the first few days is probably the most strenuous. You know, this year was the most difficult, and I didn't even have a headache the first first day, which is normally what I get from the dehydration. So. It's amazing. It's, it was a total miracle. But you know what? It wasn't such a good start. My very first Ramadan, um, I went out clubbing the night before. And um, the next day, first day of Ramadan, I lay in bed with a pounding headache, couldn't eat or drink, dehydrated and hungover. And um, I gave up just after lunch. At that time, Ramadan was in winter, so it would have been so easy. But I couldn't hack it. Okay, you know? so you and, converted uh, to Islam. Okay. Huh? Now, I already converted to Islam, and I was just a bad beginner, you see. I was still drinking a bit of alcohol. But then, you know, within the next year, I gave it all up. And uh, ever since then, I've been flying through Ramadan. Now, how did your family react when you made this change? I want to know around the world around you. So let's start with those who are close to you. How did the family react when you said, you know, because I've noticed you've kept your name. You have, that's not a Muslim name. Yeah, true. Why, uh, why have you not changed the name? No, you don't need to. You don't it's need just, to. It's uh, a custom, you know. I mean, I have been given two Muslim names, and I have two. And what Christian are they? Names. My names are Yusra, Zahra. I prefer Zahra, Zahra, you know, like um, Fatima, uh, Zahra, the daughter of the Prophet. Zahra means the radiant one, and I like that. So. Um, so, how did your family react? My family, well, you know, they were not impressed because they know Islam only from the media, like like I did, like most people do. And as you know, the media image is not a pretty one. And my mother asked me, you know, why, if you're not getting married to him, why do you have to take up his religion, you know? And, um, well, it took a lot of discussions and explanations, you know, for them to feel comfortable with it. And um, You didn't ask them before you became a Muslim. I didn't ask them, but I think, I don't even remember, you know. I, it was so much going on at the time. I don't remember that exact detail. Right. Whether I told them before or just after, but I did tell them, you know, right away. Others keep it secret for a long time because, you know, they, they feel so, it's such, you know, it could be such a shock. Look, I didn't, I didn't take up the headscarf. I only wear the headscarf during, at prayers or in very conservative society. So it was easier for my parents. The only difficulty or challenge was that, you know, because I was a media figure and um, I was a, like a pop icon in Germany, you know, and so my mom, who works at a doctor's, had to suddenly uh, talk to the whole, to all the people, to everybody about my Islam. So, you know, that may have been a bit of a challenge, you know, defending me becoming a Muslim in front of everybody. Because, um, so she bore the brunt for your conversion. 
Yeah, I certainly did, and my mother did as well. Um, no, me, I mean, seriously, because, so my family, you know, let me just finish on that. Um, my aunt, she said, oh, we, we, we are three, uh, three Abrahamic religions. We are brother and sister religions. She knew that we have a common ancestor, and that is Abraham, and that, you know, we are really brothers and sisters in faith. So she was cool. My parents, it took a little while longer. My friends respected me for my decision. They are all on some kind of a spiritual path as well, you know, my my close friends. And what I really like is when we come to the same conclusions, just through different routes, because certain truths are really there in every revealed religion or tradition, you know. And um, so that's very exciting. But have you been um, in any situations where people perceive you as being a traitor for moving to another religion that in today's world is often associated with, with violence? Well, I mean, uh, you know, let's just to, to finish how my environment reacted. The worst reaction was from my workplace and the public, the German public. Basically, as soon as it came out, I'm a Muslim, from being an award-winning TV presenter and, you know, very popular and everything, I suddenly overnight became public enemy number one, it felt like. And, you know, this was a trauma you could not prepare for. You know, seven years of positive press, and uh, suddenly I'm mentioning, you know, I'm a Muslim. In fact, oh, it was even more than that. I, you know, I had a youth show in Germany. And, you had um, a what, sorry? I had a, a television te- a TV show in right. Germany, a music show, okay. uh, a local music show on German national television, apart from my job on MTV Europe. And uh, we were celebrating the 100th episode, and all these journalists came to interview me, and one of them had done his research really well, and he asked, have you already converted for your boyfriend to Islam? And you see, Imran and I, we never admitted we were boyfriend and girlfriend because, as you know, in that culture, you don't do that. You have to get married. So we kept that very quiet. So this journalist really had done his research extremely well, must have read the English papers. And, um, and I said to him, no, but I'm a Muslim at heart. And that was the truth. You know, I was so much already into it, but I hadn't officially converted. But I felt like, you know, I loved what I knew and and so on. So I said that. This little comment ended my entertainment career. It was, you know, repeated in the German press. One article after the other came out. Has she lost the plot? Is she going to present her, her music show from behind the burqa? You know, is she supporting terrorism? So who, and I was also ridiculed on a chat show, which was really a setup. I thought it was an opportunity to explain, you know, why I did what I did and, you know, explain a little bit about Islam. But uh, I, I was just put on this chat show with a bunch of Islamophobes, and um, they just showed, they started the show by showing images of, you know, men screaming Allahu Akbar with Kalashnikovs in their hands, blood everywhere, black women in black chadors, and then the presenter asked, uh, Christiana, our MTV presenter, what do you like about that? You know, and then I go, I explained to him, well, Islam means peace. That is the meaning of Islam, actually, the translation of this word. And it has two meanings. It also means surrender to God. So when you surrender your will to God, you will find inner peace. And he took the mic away and immediately talked to some Islamophobe who tried to, you know, criticize and, 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 and patronize me. So anyway, that whole thing was a setup. And lo and behold, uh, within a couple of weeks, I lost my music show. 
although the contract was freshly signed. The ink wasn't dry on this contract, and they had begged me for months to sign up for another year. Suddenly, they didn't even remember there was a contract. And then MTV also followed. I mean, well, did you have well, a one-on-one meeting with any of the producers or the CEO where they sat you down and said, well, this is not good for business? No, nothing. They just pretended there was no contract. Uh, we had one big meeting with everybody, and uh, they just said it's not going to work anymore, you know, can't continue. No, they never admitted it. Um, but that was the case. Uh, one MTV, my boss at MTV Europe, he said, you know, f- oh, yeah, look, listen to this. At, um, uh, v- when VH1 opened in Hamburg, um, you know, it was a big bash. And, of course, as a VJ, I was invited. David Bowie asked for a photograph with me, mm-hmm. one of my, you know, best moments sort of in my rock and roll career. And, um, and that same evening, my boss, uh, you know, wanted to hand me a joint. And I said, no, I can't do this anymore, you know, and certainly not in public. And um, and and uh, he said, oh, oh, I'm sure that would be uh, good for your image, you know, because it was already out. I'm a Muslim and all of that. He said, it'd be it'd be great for your image if, if you know, someone caught you right. looking at joint. I'm like, well, thanks. <laughs> I could not. So, you know, it was this, it's, uh, moving back from those kind of things, withdrawing, giving things up, making these different choices. And, um, you know, and in the end, what did I gain? I gained inner peace. I gained, um, you know, an So there was never any resentment or regret? Um, no. Obviously I mean, you were sad. No, how can it be? I mean, yes, of course, I would love to be married. And I'd like, I don't want that old, that hectic uh, career back. But, you know, I had to struggle to, to um, I never got back on German television. You know, and that was hugely challenging and still is to a degree, you know, um, my work. I'm now working on pitching two new TV shows for certain satellite channels, so wish me luck or pray for me. I do, Um, I do. But I want to ask you something here. Uh, we, We talk about the struggle. Now, one thing that I'm still trying to understand and I'm not understanding is the cultural freedom with which you were born with as a Christian in a Christian household are now suppressed when you become a Muslim. How, how do you manage coming to terms with the cultural practices? Because Islam is actually very strongly culturally based. You know, wearing well, a burqa, not, um, you're not even well, welcome to pray in a mosque as no, a woman. That's a myth. I mean, there, there, are, there are different interpretations. Islam is not one monolithic religion. You know, there are as many ways to God, you can say, as their souls. And I am a European Muslim. I did not become an Afghani woman. I did not become an Arab or a Turk. I am a European, and Islam is a religion for all times and all worlds, as it says in the Quran. So you can be American, and you can be European and practice Islam very well. I'm going so you're tonight. saying there's a geographic Muslim? No, I mean, it's, uh, it's for everybody. Uh, you know, I'm, uh, uh, Islamic values are European values, meaning being, an, or American values, being honest, being kind to your parents, being punctual, you know, being a good person. But that, that's a way of life, and, and I, I, I guess you. that's in every religion, even though it's not of, officially of stated. But, but I'm trying to say is, you know, um, I was brought up, uh, and, and I had a lot of friends who were Muslim, and when they started getting married... 
I would go and try and wish them uh, congratulations, but I was never allowed to see their wives. So the wives are hidden, and, and there is there is a that's certain what Arabs do, yeah there is a certain suppression do. of women though. That's that's what what how do you come to terms with that? No, it's it's disgusting. It's completely un-Islamic, and it's cultural. You know, as you were saying, it's right. an Arab culture. But I bet you that Christian women in that same in, in that culture would would perhaps also suffer some kind of uh, you know oppression or whatever. And I and also I can tell you, certainly not every Arab woman is suppressed. I have been to Doha to some um, you know financial forum mm. with uh, hundreds of very powerful. Arabic women running the show, you know, being in investors, having two PhDs, you know, doing everything, and they have the choice to work. They don't have to work. They can. You see, so there is there's a, um, also a lot of, um, I mean, things are changing in the Arab world, you know. Yes, I agree. You know, you uh, people who, ha there are people who have a very stern and very exterior interpretation of Islam, very literalist, and I don't like that at all. I like the path of the heart. You know, I like the Islam of the heart. I like Rumi, philosophers like Rumi. So you see it the way it should be seen, not the way it's practiced by some extremists. Oh, I think so, yes. Right. It's, oh, there is no extremism in Islam at all. It uh, says again and again, it's the way of the middle. It's well, the no middle. alcohol is an extremism. What? No alcohol is an extremism. Certainly not. It doesn't, you know, you don't have to be American. Being American doesn't mean you have to drink alcohol. A lot of people don't. No, no, no. Alcohol. I'm saying, I'm saying, in, you're saying there's no extremism in Islam. I'm trying yeah, to say, no well. violence. There's no, also taking the religion to the extreme, you know, and shutting out women and, and, and not allowing women in the mosques. In my view, that is un-Islamic. It, it says it nowhere in the sources, you know. You have to go back to the sources to what Prophet Muhammad actually said and what was written in the Quran. But in all fairness, Islam is a very disciplined religion. If you don't want to use the word extreme, that's fine. But there are certain things you just cannot do. And that is, one of them is obviously not drinking alcohol, not eating pork, uh, so on and so forth. Uh, but it is, a it is a very disciplined religion. What I will... What? That was even in Christianity, but, you know, in, even in Christianity, in the original Christianity, we were not supposed to drink alcohol and get drunk. Why is it? Think about it. Why is it? It's because your inhibition, your levels of, your thresholds of inhibitions lower, get lowered, and then you start uh, much easier, you know, do, uh, committing immoral, indecent acts. Oh, That's absolutely. Why. I totally agree. Uh, and, and, and the key to that, I guess, is moderation. Yeah, moderation. But I guess moderation is only acceptable in certain religions. There is, is there room for moderation in, in Islam? Is there, just it's as much as you're saying the Bible has progressed and Christianity has progressed, um, are there, has, has Islam progressed? Well, Islam has always been progressing. I mean, Islam was sent to, to progress from what came before. Remember, Islam, when it was sent, it was revolutionary. It gave women rights. It gave women the right to vote, the right to property, certain rights that uh, women in Switzerland uh, got 1947. You know, um, it was revolutionary and it really bettered the lot of, of, of uh, people at the time when, in fact, babies, female babies were buried, were, were murdered because they were females. I mean, all that was completely forbidden. Islam liberalized slaves. You know, it kept saying to repent for a bad mistake, free a slave. It encouraged um, the liberation of slaves. And in fact, in Islamic history, um, dynasties 
were made out of slaves, you know. What about the part where the Quran says you can beat your wife? <laughs> well, yeah. They haven't progressed another, there. That, is, uh, that, that I found that odd. I'm sure you did. That misunderstood verse is the most difficult for any woman, I think, of all, you know. And uh, You're saying it's misunderstood, so tell me what do I need to understand? Yeah, certainly for me, you know, that was the one, uh, the one big, one of the big stumbling stones, you know, that I... <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> and obviously, so what happened was um, Imran at the time invited Cat Stevens round so that I could ask an, another convert some questions, you know, and... When I then came up with this question, uh, how about the beating verse, you know, how is that seen? They gave this answer. The friend of the youth of Islam, Kat Stevens, uh, said, oh, as long as you don't hurt the woman and you can just do it symbolically with a newspaper or a toothbrush. I thought, <laughs> what? That's outrageous. You know? Yes, it is. Oh, it is. It does not make sense. This is not... Uh, Prophet Muhammad had never beaten anybody, let alone a wife. I mean, not even an animal, you know. So this is contrary to what, everything I've learned. And, um, you know, it took me 19 years to find clearance, to find clarity um, on, on this verse. So, and so uh, give some clarity to our listeners, and especially me. <laughs> okay, well, it's, uh, one of the scholars um, explained the Arabic word through how it is found in other passages in the Quran, that same word, it's called daraba, And basically, it's mean, it means separation, taking a distance from, you know. There are 12 different translations of this word daraba, and the one that makes most sense in this instance is actually separating, taking a distance from, you know. So, so that I can find comfort with. No. You know, but generally, we mustn't nitpick and find for flaws in a religion, but look at the overall spirit, which is completely equi equ equitable. God is pro-women and pro-men. And by the way, the first wives, um, the wives of Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, they were business women. They were very strong, powerful personalities who who all contributed to the um, to the society. So they are our role models. And what came later through cultural um, influences is un-Islamic. And, you know, that's why you see there's, there are a lot of movements, feminist movements, uh, or women empowerment movements with the religion, not against it, now how, with the Quran. How have the Muslim community embraced you? <laughs> well, um, I tell you, they, uh, they're all, they're lovely. I mean, now especially... Uh, you know, I, I have a lot of Muslim friends, and they, you, they've, they've opened their homes and their hearts to me, you know. I tell you one thing. Once I did an interview for Al Jazeera, right. Arabic, and I've never, in Doha, I've never received more um, responses from, from people. People were crying hearing my story. I mean, I'm so sweet. And, you know, I received a royal invitation after this interview from the sultan and his wife, the Sultan of Sharjah and his wife. And so they, you know, talking about how was I received. I mean, I even received a royal invitation to meet them in their palace, and they wanted to meet me and, you know, hear how it is and the challenges and this and that. So in, with enormous um, love and hospitality and friendship, really, um, it's very touching. Do you think part of you that wants to remain... Uh a Muslim is because of the celebrity status you get from it or being a trophy convert, as some people like to say? 
Well, I you know, no, because the, the negative, the downside of being a trophy is that you're sort of untouchable, you know. You're like this trophy on the mantelpiece, but right. um, not, uh, not, you know, that you don't touch. So, uh, no, that's all nothing to do with it. You know, the, the, real, the real truth is it's the link with God. It's that inner, that emptiness that I had before, yes. that I always felt before, is now filled with meaning, you know, with a purpose, with God in the end of the day. My desire to please God in whatever capacity I can. And it's, uh, you know, and also there's an acceptance when, you know, faith gives you, it just helps me prioritize my life. It helps me accept uh, situations that are difficult when other people, you know, go irate and become impatient and beat themselves up. I know this was God's will. Obviously, it wasn't meant to be this way or that way, how I willed it. But the main you know, thing I'm, is... I'm very conscious. We all have a will, we all have a plan, but God is the better planner. But the main thing is you're happy. I'm very happy, yes. And I'm fulfilled. You I know, was there's reading... an inner satisfaction and inner peace that, that sets in, you know. And it's also a source of strength and hope. When I get um, desperate or when I get sad, you know, I have God to cry to for help. I can cry on my prayer mat and speak to God, and, you know, and things suddenly sort themselves out. And sometimes it's almost as if God is speaking to you, you know. That's what happens. Well, I was reading your story with great interest, and I even read your book. Um, Did you? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> uh, reports, and I also read a lot of the reports surrounding this whole scenario where people convert to Islam. Um, interesting point, and I wanted to get your opinion on it. Reports show that the majority of whites who convert to Islam, uh, for every 100 people, 75% are women. Um, there also seems to be the reason they convert is because they've associated themselves with a Muslim man. Now, uh, what, what, why is that? I, I'm, I'm trying to yeah. find, no, is, is there some sort of yeah. silent conspiracy going on, some sort of quota system that, you know, Every Muslim man out there has got to go and at least try and convert one in his lifetime. No, I mean, let's get the facts uh, clear. Mm. Um, uh, most of these women do not marry for convenience. They marry for uh, conscience. You know, they marry for conviction. You see, there are most women, I mean, women who convert, convert because they want to, because they believe in it. So if it was a very, if the religion was suppressive to women, why would all these women convert? No, so, so obviously Islam offers women something. And what it is, is the dignity to be recognized as a person and not just as a sex symbol. You know, I started covering up. I started wearing long clothes. I mean, tonight I'm going out and I'm wearing trousers underneath my, my dress that is a little bit shortish. So I'm wearing trousers underneath, you know, so it looks a bit like a tunic thing. So I'm, I'm trying to fuse faith and fashion. And, um, you know, it gives me the dignity. I don't have to have my cleavage hang out and, you know, attract people with my long legs showing my flesh. I find that really degrading now. So I cover, and I feel more feminine. And, you know, I'm respected now. I know, I mean, Islam respects me as, in, as a person for my thoughts, my deeds, uh, you know, as a personality, and not, not, not mainly predominantly as a sex symbol. And I really, really like that. And, um, and then the other part is... Well, I guess being white also helps, because you stand out from your other Muslim uh, female No, but it's, uh, that's all, you know, fought also with challenges, remember. But uh, the other point... I'm a is, man, I know how men think. 
No, but uh, you know, uh, um, the, you know the challenge. No, I, I, let me just first. Say, um, sorry, uh, before what what were we just talking about? We were saying, what was the previous question? I no, I, I, want, I want to move on. I want to talk about when when these. No, this was really important. <laughs> okay, we'll um, get back to it. But there, when we when these people convert to Islam. No, okay, my, you know, now I got it. You see, the point was, uh, so number one, it's the dignity, uh, yes. the dressing, but it's also the dignity of a woman, you know. A woman does not have to go out to work. She can have babies. She's respected as a mother, you know, cherished very much as a mother. So, you know, in Islam or Islamic culture, women are not competing with men so much you know they they actually live more it's almost like um in england the sort of life value system 50 years ago in england you know i guess everyone does their bit to bring it all together it's more conducive to a woman's nature right you know um live, living an islamic life believe it or not um so that's what it is and now the other point you said uh, i stand out more yes i stand out but remember um, there are cultural uh, challenges as well. I'm white. For for most born Muslims, I have a past. You know, they're looking for a virgin. <laughs> so it's a challenge, you know, not being a Pakistani and having, you know, a of lot course, of Pakistani. I, I, I totally respect that. Now, in this report that I was reading, um, one of the f- largest complaints of people who convert to Islam is there seems to be a weak support system for new converts. Is that true? Very true. Yes, absolutely. What were the weaknesses that you found? Yeah, you have to find your own, you know, you have to find your teachers. Who teaches you Islam? I mean, the mosques are doing uh, very little. I mean, now the central mosque in London is beginning to do programs for converts, which is very nice. But, you know, a lot of the times, even the the main um, uh, sermons, khutbas they're called, are either in Arabic or in Urdu or in Turkish. Now, we don't understand any of those languages, and that's not right, you know, in the West. They should be in English. And... um, and also, you know, you really have to look look um, and research uh, where you get your teachings from. You know, you have to seek out your teachers. They're not sort of openly available. And you need to be sure that also one doesn't uh, find the wrong kind of teachers, you see. Also on the Internet, when everybody poses as a scholar or a sheikh, you can, you know, get led astray by extremists maybe who also pose as a sort of a Islam teacher, you know. So you need to look um, thoroughly, and that's one big challenge. And, um, yeah, we're trying to sort of build a support system, a support network for, for new Muslims. In London there are some activities, some initiatives, but it's all very slow and, you know, it's, it's just beginning because it really is a new phenomenon in the end of the day, isn't it? It is, it is. Um, and recently there were acts of violence in Kenya. Yeah. Um, there was also in, in Pakistan a church uh, was bombed by a suicide bomber. Yep. And these guys, uh, they seem to do everything in the name of Islam, which is very really ironic because you yourself said Islam is peace. Absolutely, it's completely Why? ironic. And, and you're uh, you're you're now part of the community, and you mix with uh, you know the the, the Muslims. Um, why do the well, majority of the Muslims stay silent? Of course, in a room, they're all going to. Uh, decry this 
act. But publicly, well, why why do they stay silent? No, no one is silent. People speak out. You know, sometimes media, the media may not give all the moderate Muslims a chance because, as you said, whoever shouts the loudest, you know, gets gets the media. It's the loudest voice in the room, isn't it? Yeah, you know, heard. and the moderate Muslims um, are just not as great a story as as a bomb, naturally. You know, that's the way the crisis works. But that's why it is important in programs like yours that you do have uh, moderate Muslims give them a voice. And not only these monsters, the extremists, you know, because then they shout louder and are more exciting as a news story, you know. And the media has to also be responsible. I mean, what is what happens? Atrocities, acts of violence committed in the name of Islam is a, is a perversion of the religion. No doubt about it. It's completely against the religious teachings, you know. There's one verse in the Quran that says, if you kill one innocent human being, it is as if you've killed the whole of humanity. It's um, so serious. Life is sacred. You know, we're not even allowed in, in war to hack off a tree. You know, trees are protected in, in Islam, so let alone human beings. So it's, it's, it's atrocious. And remember, the people who suffer the most are the Muslims. Because everybody, again, thinks Muslims are all bad. Brushes everybody with the same stroke. So, you know... You know, if the Muslims did simple things like take the procession on streets to the embassies, um, just as an act of, in, in a peaceful manner... I, I mean, I try to do every interview I can get, you know, to, to bring a voice of moderation to... to I, think, I, think, I think viewers need to see, as much as they see quality from you, I think they need to see quantity. They need to see a whole bunch of Muslims walking um, and and putting the terrorists down. Yeah, it would absolutely. be it would be so impactful, and then as a result, their own society gets blamed less. Then you we know, just target so our emotions on these terrorists. I so agree with you. However, the problem is. They are perhaps disorganized. There's no leadership like there is, you know. In I think you're spot on. I don't see leadership. No, you don't have the Pope. It doesn't exist, you see. There is no real clergy in Islam. You pray directly to God. There is no, I mean, Al-Azhar is the kind of, you know, the one, you know, the Al-Azhar University in Egypt is the kind of voice of reason in Islam. But, you know, they're, they're not organizing worldwide demonstrations or anything like that. There is, it's just not there. There is no equivalent. That's, that's what I think is needed. Yeah, probably it is. It's a crisis of leadership. To change, to change, I guess, uh, majority perception. I agree with you. I really do. Oh, it's, uh, it's, it's very sad when that happens, and just for your comfort, because what happened in um, Peshawar in Pakistan is happening in Imran's province. He's actually the governor of his province. I sent him a message. <laughs> you know, to, uh, and he's already he went there immediately and you know, was trying to mediate peace and you know, educate these, these thugs. Uh, violent thugs, you know, well, murderers from, uh, actually. Never doing this again, yeah, criminals, murderers. I mean, you know, it's just. Uh, yeah, you've been very brave to come and share your uh, experiences and 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 your uh, the reason why I was having a great difficult time trying to get people to talk about why they had changed their religion to Islam. It was very hard to find people who 
were willing to talk. There were a lot of people. They were just willing to talk. So I give you credit for that. Now, what's your... I scared of you. <laughs> <laughs> then you would tear them apart, you see. They're not media personalities or anything. Just well, you know what? If you, if you do what you do um, and you believe in it, you should be proud of it. Yeah, so, people are proud of it, but you know they're yeah, that's uh, that's strange because the media, you know, has generally a negative impression of Islam. So I really appreciate your very measured, very you know fair interview. What's your mission these days? Now you've written a book from MTV to Mecca, and as you said uh, before, I could it's available on Amazon. Um, <laughs> you're also doing a new show. Well, I'm still, you know, my, my mission is I, I, I try to inspire people uh, through my journey. There I have messages for the West, messages for the East. Mainly it is to come together and work for the common good and look at your soul. Try and find a spiritual path for yourself. You know, Spiritual in terms of Islam or Christianity or Judaism? Yeah, Which one? Anything, anything, you know, anything that rocks your boat, <laughs> that works for you, you know. It's just don't neglect your soul. Because, you know, for example, in, I was in, in America just recently in Baltimore, and I sat on a bus from the hotel, from the airport to the hotel, and this bus, and there was a woman. She was like two tons or, or more than that, you know, massive. You only ever meet the, the fat people like this in America, I'm sorry to say. Now, and she was sitting there with a bag of chips that was almost a meter high, nonstop eating on the way in the bus from the airport to the hotel. And I, I felt like going up to this woman and having a chat and asking her, would you like a cup of coffee? I'd love to speak to you, you know, uh, and try and speak to her and see what is that void she's trying to fill with food right. that is not going to work, you know, to try and look somewhere else. So we all have this. We all, you know, we're seeking something and we're trying to fill it. I tried to do it with shopping. She tried to do it with eating crisps. But it doesn't work. You know, you have to look for the divine. You have to feed your soul. And whatever way you do it, you know, that's fine as long as you do it. How then do you do a show on spirituality if you're not confining it to one religion? Oh, you know, I, I did one. I had one already. I'd love to do a show, um, an interface show, you know, where you just interview people from all, um, uh, you know, traditions from different, uh, you know, religions, faiths, spiritual traditions. But trying to find a common theme. You can find, interview gurus, you can interview sheikhs, you can talk about common problems. We all live on this planet, we all face the, envi face the environmental crisis, problems like cloning, abortion, how do the different faiths see it? I have, I have a lot of proposals. If you're interested, I've got them in my computer. I have celebrities on the show, Madonna, you know, Richard Gere. There are plenty of famous people who are looking, who have found, you know, satisfaction and peace, uh, not in the famous fame world, but in, in, in faith, in a spiritual discipline. Um, I, I, I would love to have you back on the show. <laughs> and I'd love to have you with a guest of mine who went from Islam to Christianity and have okay. you both talk. Why not? Yeah. You have a lot of courage, and I really respect you for that, Christiane. Thank you so much. And as in Arabic, Kuda Hafez. <laughs> well, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. Feel free to send in your comments to our Facebook page at facebook.com slash the VIP Jaswell Report or tweet me at VIP Jaswell on Twitter. And keep your ears open for the next airing of the VIP Jaswell Report coming soon.